Yeah. Well, you got to take a chance. Somebody's got to take a chance. Somebody's going to take a chance. There are too many yeah. developers for there yeah. not to be someone who's going to I do that. I heard Greg. He said he was going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Greg's sitting there in his chair with that drink and ice in it for some reason. You know, steepling his fingers and cackling puts silently ice to himself. ice in whiskey? I don't even know, Greg. Talk it is big baby. ice, so it melts slowly. That's all yeah, I'll say. Yeah, really? Wow. Okay. Okay. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 72 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitchell and I'm in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Aaron Bay in Whitby, Ontario. Hi there. And we also have Greg Heo over there at the Eaton Centre in Toronto, Ontario. Hey everybody. And down in West Tennessee, we have Tammy Coron. Hey everybody. There you go, cool. And that's my dog. Of course it is. Barking away. Oh, shit, he got upstairs. Oh, do you have to go take care of that business? You know, Mac is a lot quieter when upstairs rather than beside you. Yeah? Okay. True story. All right. All right. All right. You don't mind him off barking off in the distance? Oh, no, it, it's ambiance. If, if I wanted the Twitter app for Mac, where would I have to go? Because I'm on my Twitter page, and I can't even... I think you have to go to the Mac App Store. Your favorite oh. place, Aaron, Mac App Store. I love that place. Let's go there. Have you yeah, have you looked at the new Twitter yet, um Greg Heo? Greg Greg Heo? Yes, I certainly uh, have. Yes. It's it's I his went, comment that made me go back to the store and have a look. Yeah, I switched to the dark theme. Well then we can't have private uh, MTJC host conversations without Aaron there. Oh yeah, it is supported in here, isn't it? I'm trying oh, to remember essential. what there the previous is, version of Twitter looks like. I'm almost sad that I upgraded. Okay, so I'm downloading this app. He's talking about the Twitter. Twitter. App, Tiny. Twitter, yeah. Which Twitter app? The Twitter, Twitter app. For Mac app. <laughs> the Twitter app? The Twitter app. The bane of Aaron's existence. He hates the Twitter app. Oh, I'm not a fan. And uh, I mean, I used to like it, right? Back when it was Tweety that uh-huh. stuff. Oh, was, it, was that what it was before it got sort of switched over to this? Yeah, it was. Um, oh. oh, come on, Brain. Give the, the Lauren name. Richter. Thank you. Uh, it, was, it was his app. And uh, then Twitter Aqua hired him. He disappeared. I think he ended up leaving Twitter because he worked on something else. And then Twitter took it over and let it languish. And I think my big problem with Twitter as the app, which I think I might have by now, yes, is simply that it, I can't keep track of my timeline between iOS and Mac, right? Or, Greg, correct me if I'm wrong. That's correct. Ah, what is even the point of it then? Well, that's what they say, right? The whole, the way Twitter wants to use Twitter is just like, what's new? You know, it always scrolls, well, I don't know if it does, but generally it'll always scroll to the top. You know, you go to the website and it's like the most recent tweets and maybe you scroll down a page or two and that's all you need to see, right? Yeah, I guess. But, you know, I'm a completionist. So Twitter doesn't want me as a customer. (laughs) I've uh, I've fully switched over to TweetBot on all platforms. And so I'm relying on their iCloud sync. Yeah. Which uh, is, is less impressive. Okay, yeah. I've got this thing running now. I've got it running. Plus, I only follow whatever. I mean, like like you said, completionist. I only follow like 160 people or something, and I read every tweet. Look at every tweet. Do you really? I do, but I realize <laughs> that most people follow like, I don't know, a thousand people or something, and they don't read every tweet, but I Holy just follow cow, a limited, like limited number of people. Message thing. I'm seeing the direct message thing now. Uh-oh. Yeah, I'm in. Quick, quick let's erase the direct I'm message in, feed. Baby. <laughs> right, okay. So I've just sent a direct message to something I would otherwise never see. And as soon as I quit this app, I'm never going to see it again. Bye-bye. Well, hang on. Wait, don't go away. I'm gone. I'm already gone. Oh, You're, oh, you're just on. not fast enough for me, Tim. Uh, I'm in, baby. That's your. That's it? Okay. That's it? All right. 
And he's out. Uh, I'm already gone. I'm already gone. I, I, how do I open this thing? How does this Mac work? I don't know. It adds something to your to your title bar too, right? To your um... yes, it did. Yeah, I had to disable that. That 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 is disableable. Yeah, you just have to hit. I, I don't actually. Run, I run TweetDeck all day long, and then and then of course my devices, right? But uh, they're old school. Am I the only one who uses the website anymore? Really? I, f- I feel so. I feel so dirty. <laughs> my mind I just. The, <laughs> I have the notifications page of the website open all the time because I disabled yeah. notifications on my phone. Like I used to get the notification when somebody like you know liked yeah. a tweet or As whatever. A bowel moment, yeah. I turned all that stuff off though, so I do have the notifications page open, Tammy. But I don't actually read Twitter on. Well, the see, I'm not that popular, so I don't get bothered too much by the notifications. <laughs> Yeah, I yeah. have them on my watch. Uh, I use I do I go into there to admin. I have a couple of accounts, so I go in there to put like background images and stuff like that. And then occasionally I'll follow. I'll go and look at people's accounts on Twitter, especially when I'm grabbing stuff for the show notes for those people driving in the cars. Jaime says hi, by the way. Um, hey, let, let Jaime know I say hi back right at him. <laughs> I'll put it in the show notes. Good do for that. those of you driving in your car. I'm getting lots of interesting, interesting feedback from people about who want to run ads uh, or who want to sponsor us too. So, but what? But I know, eh? That's that's our the dream is to have this thing be self sufficient. It's <sighs> funny that you oh, mentioned that's... sponsors just now because um, mm-hmm. funny you mentioned that. Uh, there's this guy Jason Zook, right? He's IWearYourShirt.com. Mm-hmm. And he has this whole webinar. <laughs> Do you know him? No, no, but it's funny. Yeah, yeah he, funny. he he started this thing with being able to get sponsors. Like he, he wears these T-shirts and he's thinking to himself, I'm wearing these T-shirts every day. Nobody's paying me to wear their T-shirts. Mm. I've got free advertising. So he went and he started this, IWearYourShirt.com. And he has this entire webinar on how to successfully get sponsors. Oh, and cool. I just thought it was really fascinating uh, number one, he's an excellent speaker. And number two, there was this one thing that he kept, you know, a single point that he kept nailing home, and that was the follow-up. Follow-up, follow-up, follow-up. So, uh, yeah. yeah. Like in a Check sales process like perspective, you mean? Pretty much, right. So, like, if you contact someone who you would like to sponsor your show, for example, and you don't hear anything in a week, you might just never contact them again, and you would probably lose that sponsor. But what he's suggesting is that people are generally busy these days. Uh An email like that will come in. They'll think, yeah, I really need to get to that. And then a thousand other things will happen. If you send that person a follow-up and say, hey, I sent you an email a week ago and just wondering what you think, chances are they'll get it. And if they're interested, they'll contact you back. So, you know, a no is not necessarily always a no. I believe that follow-up for anything is good. I mean, even if you have a conversation with your kids, right, and you tell them to do X, Y, Z, if you don't follow up and tell them again, chances are they're going to forget that you said, you know, don't don't beat up your brother. That's probably not a good idea. Well, they forget in the heat of the moment, too, especially with kids. Right, right. So definitely follow up, whether it be trying to, to you know, sell something or get sponsorship or even to let people know that, hey, I've got a podcast. Yeah. Keep telling them. Yeah, yeah, it's true. I've learned to do that over over the years as well with with anything I'm involved with. You know, back in my tech support, sales support role back in the day, you know, a lot of sales junior salespeople don't know that you actually have to ask for the order when you when you're selling something. You know, have we lost the other two guys? Oh no, you just started talking about sales, so I was like, <laughs> this is way more than just code. Mm-hmm. Sales is not my bag, man. I don't get no, that stuff. We know that. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. You should know Sale, that. I'm sales and marketing. Yeah. So bad. So, period. Bad, period.
Speaking of sponsorships and stuff like that, do you want to do you want to take an opportunity, Tammy, to tell us your your news today? Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, so there's a new developer conference coming on the scene in Nashville, Tennessee in 2016. I think the date is uh, September 16th and 17th. Yeah, it's it's, it's going to be one heck of a time and we we just uh we opened up our call for speakers and we're definitely looking for sponsors because we want the event to be <laughs> Here's a plug for your show. More than just code, right? (laughs) (laughs) We want it to be a place where people can foster new friendships and creativity and share new ideas. So it's not just going to be tech talk focused. There will be other things going on. And Mm -hmm. I have a big mouth and I just so want to scream to the world what the venue is because we went ahead and booked it just the other day. Mm-hmm. But I can't, I can't let the, you know, no spoilers uh, just yet, but it's a fantastic place. And, uh, yeah, if you've not been to Nashville, come to Nashville, see us at the, uh, Indie Dev Stock. That's the name of the conference. So thanks for the plug, Tim. Yeah, no worry. But even, even just, uh, even just the trip to Nashville, I think would be worth it. It's kind of a Mecca for musicians, especially, right? Yeah. So. And that was funny. Cause when we were talking to the, um, the booker at the venue, you know, one of the questions they had was why Nashville? And of course I'm local to Nashville. So that was a big reason for me. But I also said, you know, Nashville, when you think about developers, sometimes you think that they just sit in this tiny little room all by themselves and mm-hmm. bang out code on the keyboard. But the truth of the matter is I know so many developers that also have their hand in some type of music, you know, whether it be singing mm. or writing or, um, you know, playing guitar, whatever the case may be. So it was very important for us to make sure that we brought in the entire mindset of the developer, and that includes music. So I hope that was a good thing. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. I was asking Tammy if the venue was going to be Elvis's house, and then I was scolded <laughs> for for saying oh, that because, on, of course, no. that is Memphis, not Nashville. But you know, but see, Greg knows where it is because he he's he's one of our our speakers, aren't you, Greg? Well, now people are going to start harassing me to ask me where it is. So I wasn't even going to say that. Where Elvis's house is? <laughs> no, that he's a speaker, Tim. Pay attention. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Okay. I knew I was going to. I was going to say that you know Greg was going to be the speaker there as well a speaker f you the ipad pro has an app store problem what's this so i I found this the other day and it's it's more follow-up on what we were saying before about the fact that uh i think that um there isn't really sort of a developer uh or emphasis on developers to write apps specifically for the ipad pro because it's a difficult product to make as a developer a lot of you know it takes a lot of resources and a lot of cost and uh and that's probably i think that's just the article now, Tim, as you're using your iPad Pro and you're downloading iPad apps for it that haven't, that aren't specifically for the iPad Pro, are they as obvious as, say, apps that were made for the iPhone 5 size when we got the iPhone 6 and they were scaled up and we were like, oh, that's gross. Is it that obvious on the iPad Pro or not? Uh, it's not really, no, but but uh, where you do notice it in things, and Tammy has an iPad Pro, by the way, too, so um, the things where it's obvious are tool palettes like the um, paper by 53 palette was was done was designed with the ipad pro in mind so you know if you open your tool palette on a regular ipad you have to sort of swipe left and right to get to all the tools whereas they just appear on the ipad pro Mm -hmm. in landscape so that was kind of a nice nice thing to notice right and that was like i noticed that on day one uh, multitasking clearly is another another win for the iPad Pro, especially when you you know. You... Now, I was more thinking that I think the point is like people aren't. It's like oh, it's so much work to do an iPad Pro specific version that 
either they're not going to do it or they don't want to spend the money to do it. I don't know. But Tammy, what do you think? Do when you see iPad apps on the iPad Pro, is it like noticeable? Is it like, oh, this hasn't been updated for iPad Pro. This is horrible. Or is it just like, nope, it's just an iPad app running on a larger canvas? That's kind of how I feel. And I know I should probably not feel like that and be more picky about, hey, you know, this is not an iPad Pro app. I'll tell you the, the only... The only thing that I have noticed is that, for example, the, um, you know, the drawing apps, you can tell when it's ready for the iPad Pro because when you go in to set up your tools, they'll have a specific option for the Apple Pencil. And it does make a difference. I've, some of the apps that you've got that option on and you turn it off and you turn it on, there's definitely a difference. So that's really the only time I've noticed it. But as far as the interface, I hate to say it, I just don't pay that much attention to the interface. And it's, it goes back to what Apple said long ago. If the interface gets in the way, it's not a really good interface. So what is this mythical iPad pencil you're talking about? We don't seem to have those up here in Canada. You didn't and get yours coming January seventh or something. January tenth or something January ridiculous 10th. like that. I I go to the app store on a, I, I go downtown a lot and and every time I go near the it's like a fly to the light you know I just get attracted to it and I go there and ask them have you got any pencils in today sir and they go no no pencils for you go away yeah no why did you for order some it reason, online it, it, I did and it's coming January tenth. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah, like next year, man. Yeah. Oh, I've yeah, had no, mine for a few we, weeks now. Well, I know, and, and that's why it was good to hear that you, what you said about the iPad Pencil, because I have no idea about that yet. I'm still using the Pencil by 53, so which, yeah. isn't, touch, which isn't pressure sensitive, by the way. No, it's out. not. And, you know, I, used to, I, I, I love my uh, Pencil by 53. Mm-hmm. I still use it on my other iPad. But really, when you're holding the Apple Pencil... And you're working with that on the on the uh, iPad Pro. There's no comparison. That feeling of being able to draw flawlessly comes back when you're using the Apple Pencil and the iPad Pro. It's still not as good as the Cintiq. I also have a Cintiq, and that's where I do the majority of my work. My one negative against the um, iPad Pro and the Apple Pencil is that it's very slippery. And what I mean by that is, like, there's a bit of a drag when you're using the Cintiq that the Apple Pencil and the iPad Pro don't have. And it's very noticeable. And there's a learning curve, and you do get used to it. But that's the biggest thing. If, if you're, when you get your pencil, when you finally get your pencil, you're going to notice it right away. And you're, you might not even want to get past that, but really probably within about a half an hour you start to learn to work around that well that, i did i did try the pencil at the apple store they had one there and, I, and it was like dead so i charged it with my own ipad and you know thought about stealing it for a minute but um <laughs> but one of the things i do like about the apple the uh, pencil by 53 and i've mentioned this on the show before is is because i come from a traditional art background i like i like the tactile feel of a drag on paper you know so i what i like about the foam tip on the Pencil by 53 is it even on the glass it still has a bit of a drag to it right um, and that was that was going to be one my, my one criticism I've been using tablets since you know the since they were out back in the old USB you know, probably even ABD bus days right and they were always sort of a plastic nib on a plastic um, you know graphic tablet like I'm thinking like the earlier Wacom things right and um, who was the other people who made what, graphic tablets? Uh, anyway, the, you know, plastic on plastic—it's just—it's just—it's frictionless, right? And it's not doesn't feel natural, right? Yeah, that's the word I was looking for. F- friction. I yeah. still love it, though. You know, um, it's a great tool for any artist, and by that, it, and you don't even have to be a professional artist. Like, if if you enjoy drawing, get on the iPad Pro and have at it. 
there are so many apps. Many of them are for free, mm. you know, and download. Like, you'd be like my mother. She will download 50 drawing apps and run out <laughs> of space. And then, then she's got 50 apps. And I don't know how she keeps up. No, I was going to say that Carolyn on the on the Ray Wendell Lake podcast was talking about the UI Touch uh, stuff because she's because she's got a pencil. She's in Australia and she's got a pencil, and she's been able to work with the UI Touch, the new class in iOS nine, the dot uh, what is it dot dot stylus? I think it is under UI Touch, um, and she's been playing with that and playing with the 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 new um, features. The, you know the anticipation that it has. I forget the names of them right now, but. Um, and, and checking the number of points you get from the iPad, like in terms of what feedback you get from it in, programmatically. Um, but uh, she was also saying interesting thing about the iPad, about the Apple Pencil, and maybe you can confirm this, Tammy, is it won't roll off your desk because it's kind of heavy on one end or one side? Have you noticed that? Uh, you know, I'm still waiting for my case to come in. So when I'm done using my equipment, I put it right back in the box. So it doesn't uh, even have an opportunity to roll off the desk. So I can't really say anything about that. Yeah. Well, Greg was speculating about the cables that come with it. Does any other cables come with the Apple Pencil at all? Or No, it's it's so weird the way that you got to plug it in and charge it. And that if you don't read the directions, you don't know how to find out how much of a charge it has. And it's actually mm. in the notifications. Oh, really? Weird. Right? <laughs> That's what yeah, I thought. Yeah. I was like, where? How do? Because it said you needed to charge it. I'm like, I need to charge it. How do I charge this thing? How do I know it's out of batteries? Which was more important to the whole question. And then I read the directions, and it said it's right up in the notifications. I'm like, well, that is the weirdest place ever. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Well, that's kind of yeah. Because like with Bluetooth devices, normally you go up to the Apple to the menu bar at the top, and you pull down you know, the Bluetooth menu or whatever, and it shows you how much battery you have on your. See, I live under a rock. I don't know these things. <laughs> it's terrible. Anything else on the pencil? On the yeah, about the article you posted, Tim. Yeah, I want to get. What do we need? What do we? What do the developers need to make pro apps? Is it trials, or they seem to say trials in this article? But is that what you found browsing around, looking for iPad Pro apps, or thinking about iPad Pro apps that you want to pro apps that you want to build for the iPad Pro? What is it that's missing from the store side of it, the business side of it? Yeah, I think unlike Tammy's mother, I'm not prepared to, as a consumer to go in and just download all kinds of stuff just to try stuff out. I, I, yeah, trials would be good. I mean, I think if I could, you know, um, if I could try out an app or even if there's a light version, maybe a light version, I don't know. I think what it comes down to is the amount of effort it takes to build an app, you know, when you're dealing with that much space and, and you're, all the considerations you have to put in. There's a lot more thinking involved in terms of how you how you design the UI and the UX, right, for, for iPad Pro or even iPad. We've, we've had that same discussion with Aaron's been that point for the last year, right? Like, he, he, they talked to Chris Lissio about the fact that Capo, for instance, is a $30 app, right? So, oh, sorry, there's an uh, iOS version for 10 bucks. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's tough to sort of build for that kind of environment. And, and Apple doesn't make it easier with by not sort of... Uh, giving us the tools that we would as salespersons to to sort of sh- you know sell our wares as it were right to give people a chance to try things out or what have you right you know greg you made a you made a good point about the trial versions and whatnot i don't know about you and and this is not just specific to the ios platform it's it's basically to any platform for me if i'm looking for new software and i i'm torn between this one or that one if one has a trial and one does not chances are I'm going to go to the one that has the trial or a light version or something. If you have good, if, if the software is good, then 
I'm, I'm likely to buy the full version. If it's not, I'm likely to move on. So if you are offering a trial, it better be really, really good because you could <laughs> potentially lose sales. But at the same time, if you're not offering a trial and your software is also not good, you're going to have a lot of angry people. Of course, you'll still have their money, but then what kind of reputation do you have? So if you've got an opportunity to create a light version or a trial version, I would encourage it because this way I think you're going to get more return on your investment. If people can try it out and say, you know what, this is what I'm looking for. This does everything I need it to do or close enough to what I need it to do. I'm going to just stop looking and get this one. And that said, I mean, since the iPad Pro came into my house, I've probably spent hundreds of dollars in software just, you know, trying this and trying that, you know, different things. I think there's a real deficit in the mentality around pricing on the App Store. You know, you look at the the proliferation of consumer-level apps and the race to the bottom in terms of pricing that that's engendered. Um, the fact is that, um, com- com- let's call them commercial developers, um, <laughs> business <laughs> business application developers are, are getting scared off, like the people at Sketch, for example. Bohemian Coding, I believe they are. They have out and out said that they're not coming to the iPad because they can't afford to take the risk to build an app that uh, people will not spend forty, fifty, sixty dollars on, as they do on the Mac version, right? Yeah. Right. But I think that I think that somebody needs to try that. You know, I think someone needs to go to the iPad and and charge a real price for their software and see what happens. Uh, that's a non-trivial risk. I I agree, but. Um, I think that somebody's going to do that very soon. And something that's like sort of tuned for the iPad Pro, too. And I have a feeling that, that person or that company or that project is going to do quite well, assuming it's a decent app, of course. <laughs> well, I mean, and that comes back to what we were saying before about having a niche product for a niche, a niche market. Um, you know, um, Chris Licio, who does music apps, I mean, musicians are, are, even though they have no money, musicians are, are always willing to pay for, for a new tool that's well-recommended and does a good job, right? So, you know, they're not necessarily looking for a free synthesizer. Yes, no, but I look mean, at what he's done. Like, I don't know what Capo for iOS does, if, that, if that's his app. Um, but you said it was $10 compared to, you know, the multiply more expensive version for the Mac. It's yeah, like 30 yeah. on the Mac. Right. So... I think that's that's part of the mentality I'm talking about. Um, well, so as an example, I bought both Capo and the Capo for iOS a couple of weeks ago, I guess Black Friday, when he put it on sale for half price. At that point, it became a reasonably, you know, for me, you know, I wasn't, I, I didn't know what I, and I, to be honest with you, I haven't used Capo on the Mac yet. I've used it on iOS a couple of times, but just to test it out. But uh, yeah, I mean, that was, you know, the, the price, because I'm not sure that I'm going to use the app to begin with, so whether or not I should actually shell out. I mean, what was the um, uh, podcast editing software we talked, was my pick a couple of weeks ago, was um, Ferrite, Ferrite, I think it's called? Yeah. Um, that one, I downloaded the free one, and I did as much as I could with the with the free version. And to, to actually use it and to use it in production, you need to shell out the money. And it's not a cheap, I think it's another, again, a $30 app. But if you're going to go through the process of, of using a tool like that, and you're looking for a tool like that, and the iPad Pro or whatever is what you want to do it on, I mean, Jason Snell... Uh, tweeted out last week that he just did the was it inc- incomparable one is the podcast he runs incomparable in, what incomparable got the emphasis on the wrong syllable <laughs> <laughs> incomparable whatever potato potato <laughs> um, 
Yeah. Anyway, he he just uh, edited an entire episode on the on the iPad Pro using Ferrite, you know, um, because he he basically paid for the, all the features, right? So, I still think it's a consumer mentality of the iPad, regardless of whether or not it's the Pro, is still simply a companion to your workhorse desktop or laptop. Exactly. Now, you're not going. It's going to take almost nearly a miracle to break out of that mentality, and I can rattle off a million different reasons why that is. But that's what it is. That's why when when you sell an an app for twenty nine ninety nine on the Mac App Store, you can't command that same cost for a similar app on the iPad because people they can't wrap their head around it that it's still a full-featured app. As, de- as a developer myself, and I'm sure you guys might agree, I wouldn't have a problem spending the same amount of money for an iPad app as I would a Mac app if it does the same thing. If it's delivering the same value to me as a consumer, I'm going to pony up and get off my wallet and hand that money to the developer because, one, I want to support them. Two, I want them to continue to improve on that app so it will even do more things for me. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's the last message I think a lot of people don't understand, and this is the general public out there, don't understand that that's what software is the price of software is based on. It's not based on what the greed of the developer. It's based on the fact that the developer has to pay his mortgage and buy tools and, and work on stuff. Um, that said, I'm sort of the opposite of you, Tommy, because if I was given a choice between working on an iPad or a Mac, I would tend to go to the iPad. Really? Yeah, yeah. And the only reason, I mean, like I said, if, <laughs> give me Xcode, whatever, on, on a, an iPad, and I, I probably would spend a fair amount of time there, yeah. Including, you know, I do a lot of Photoshop kind of stuff on, on my iPad as well. But, I have um, an iPad graveyard, is what I have. <laughs> <laughs> See, the, the mentality that you're talking about, Tammy, um, you're, you're talking about that from the context of everyone. Not just users, but developers as well, right? And I think that, I think there could be a brave developer out there, not naming names, who could, uh, Get on who it, could buck that trend, you know? That could be the first one to say, look... I'm putting my, this is my line in the sand. This is a full-featured app. This is not a companion app. This is not a light version of the Mac version. This is the real thing. This is a real deal. If you have an iPad Pro, you know, my dinner bell's ringing. You come running because this is what you've been waiting for. And and you're going to pay for it, baby. You are Mm going to pay. And it's going to be real dollars. And it could be the start of a trend. I mean, if if it's going to happen, I think that's how it has to happen. That upward pressure. There has to be upward pressure on pricing. That's true. And we've also, I mean, we've, we've talked about the Omni Group in, many times on this show. And yes, I was just thinking about that. One thing that I've, uh, you know, they've always made great software. I've always used it on the Mac. Um, and they've never charged, like, like this, this race to the bottom type pricing for any of their iPad apps or any of their uh, app, iOS apps, right, I should say. Right. Like, you know, Graffle is, you know, $30, $40, whatever. You know, it's not a cheap app, and I'm sure OmniFocus and all the other, I don't, I don't know specifically what apps they have there, but they've never charged, like, five ninety nine. They have I, iOS versions of every one of their apps. Yeah. Yeah, and they're, I think they're all, like, $50. And they've never compromised on price, is what my no, point is. Right? And, and, again, it's, it's another one of those tools where, and I think that a lot of people, I mean, I, I found out about Omni from somebody else who said, hey, try this app out, it's really cool, and, and away you go, right? In fact, I think they used to, but they, then again... 
uh, on the Mac side, they even had a, a trial version you could run for a bit and uh, try it out even forever. I think I, I might even have a, still have a free version somewhere floating around, right? But again, that, that's one of the things that we've talked about on the App Store being broken for many, many years is the fact that you can't have a trial or you, you're not allowed to have a trial version. And the whole upgrade thing is another issue, right? Not being able to charge for upgrades is, is another another bit of a showstopper for developers who are who need to make money doing this, right? Yeah, complain all that we want, though. There are paths around this, you know? Like, mm-hmm. if you want to get away with the uh, the missing trial, then you can do what Tammy said and create a light version of the software yeah. or a hampered version with an IAP. Um, yep. You know, and if you want upgrade pricing, uh, you can ship a new version of your app. Uh, as Lauren Brichter taught us way mm-hmm. back in the day mm-hmm. uh, with Tweety 2 before it got picked up by Twitter. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, it upsets a lot of people, but that is the only path that Apple really provides for us. So, right. you know, those those options are still there. Uh, the problem, that's I guess that I would say that's not the problem. The problem is that the the price tag is too low, and uh, we got to bump that up. We got to find a way to do that. And I think the path is the iPad Pro showing it to us with full featured apps, not messing around anymore. Let's make them real. But but to make the big boy toys, as you and I both know, it takes a lot of effort, right? A lot You're damn of, right. You know, and it's, and it's a lot of speculation at first as to whether people will even download your app, right? Yeah. Well, you got to take a chance. Somebody's got to take a chance. Somebody's going to take a chance. There are too many yeah. developers for there yeah. not to be someone who's going to I do heard that. Greg. He said he was going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Greg's sitting there in his chair with that drink and ice in it for some reason. You know, steepling his fingers and cackling puts silently ice to himself. Ice and whiskey. I don't even know, Greg. Talk it is big baby. ice, so it melts slowly. That's all yeah, I'll say. Oh, really? Wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I think that's all I have to say. We've we've complained about this so much uh, in the history of this show, mm-hmm. and uh, nothing has changed. Do you think now that Phil Schiller's in charge? Do you think there's any chance at all? So that's a good question. I did hear about. I heard that there was some change in his role. Can you explain that to myself and the rest of the listeners? What that is? I don't know if I can explain it to the listeners, but I'll try explaining it to you, Tim. Okay, that'll help. Okay, it's so a start. there was an executive shuffle last week, and Phil Schiller uh, re- received some new responsibilities mm-hmm. uh, over over the app stores. Uh, oh, that okay. was sort of how it was phrased. So he's Eddie Q used to be in charge of the app stores, right, and now it's right. Phil Schiller. Um, previous to that, it, it seems that Phil Schiller was responsible for developer relations. So, which which is an aspect you could say of the app stores and their policies. But mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. for the first time now, he's fully in charge of the entire kit and caboodle. Uh, what that means is anyone's guess, really. Uh, <laughs> but change, I think, suggests that. Something's going to happen. I don't know. Uh, hopefully, he's got a plan, and hopefully, that plan includes some features that we're desperately waiting for. Yeah. Uh, but you know, uh, I've been listening to a lot of other podcasts, people talking about this, and I've heard a lot of speculation. Obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the only thing you can truly say about it is that, like, who's Ray's father, for instance? Uh, n- yes. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Don't don't derail me, Mitra. I'm going to come <laughs> for you. Um, <laughs> anyway. Um, the thing that people have been pointing out that I, I really like the sound of is the fact that the platforms haven't really changed that much over the years, That particularly the Mac App Store, which we, which we have spoken about fairly recently. But even, even the iOS App Store, um, there's been very little movement in terms of, you know, uh, just improvements. Things like Search, for example, or, you know, the, um, the way that the App Store as a platform, uh, mm. you know, can lead you to the thing that you're actually looking for, which is, encompasses more than just Search. You know, just from a UI perspective, from the user side of things, the mm-hmm. App Store has not improved, has not, you know, gotten any better over the last five years, for example, right? Yeah, yeah. Which is, which is, you know, 
uh, notable. I mean, it kind of sticks out like a sore thumb, really. And if you're the executive team at Apple, you know, which includes all these people like Eddie Q and Phil Schiller, they're all going to be looking at this going, so what's going on here, guys? You know, like this is our crown jewels. And why are you not, you know, making this uh, making this better? Well, and, and to that point, I mean, it, it seems ridiculous to me that we've all been discussing forever that, that search. Apple seems to get has some mis, misguided um, priorities. Like one of them is the whole concentration on search and keywords and all that kind of stuff. Because we all know from, from having worked with this for five years, it does not work. What do they do in terms of their front and center uh, approach with the Apple TV? They put search right up there up front, you know, as opposed to, you know, presenting to people or giving people a decent way to browse around and look at, look at apps, right? Oh, the I have Apple to TV say app this, store is the worst. This is, and Netflix is probably going to come hunt me down and shoot me, but... Oh, they're the worst too. Their app for the new Apple TV is horrendous. I, I won't even use it anymore. I keep using Hulu mm. instead because they don't have it categorized. All they want you to do is search. I don't want right. to search. I want to go to a category that says documentaries and look at those mm-hmm, <laughs> or mm-hmm. comedies and look at those, but you can't do it in the new Netflix app. So sometimes people to put too much emphasis on search. Well, and, and you, I wonder, though, sometimes if that's not from from the gods themselves, because I know from having been in in other meetings and other other parts of dealing with Apple that, that they put a lot of emphasis behind this keywords and reviews and stars and like it's almost like they're they're stuck in you know ten years ago in terms of what worked and what didn't work right and no sign of it getting better that's for sure but look at look at the Apple TV though okay as as a store platform uh, very difficult to navigate of course yep, uh, yep. with with that very limited user interface affordance that Siri remote so you can search by speech and you can use that. Godforsaken keyboard. But the one thing that I think is hugely missing, majorly problematic, is the inability to link to an app from the web, right? Obviously, mm. the Apple TV does not have the capability to show a web page, right? Yeah, um, yeah. And that makes sense. I, I, I stand behind that decision. Uh, you know, if, if I were the one who made it, I would have, you know, just made it again, I guess. But there has to be a way to navigate the Apple TV app store, say, on the web, um, and then when signed into your account, you could purchase an app there or, you know, download an app and have it appear on your TV or something. There needs to be a website component to this thing that works. Well, you mentioned last week that you're not a, you're not a console person. You don't own a console, right? So, True. Yes. And Tammy, you have a PlayStation or Xbox or... We've got something, but nobody uses it anymore. Okay. And Greg, what about you? I've got previous generation. I have a Wii, the original Wii, and the PlayStation 3. Where's Jaime when I need him? Um, <laughs> well, because the reason I was going to say is because I think all of those platforms have some sort of web browser in them. And, and the online store actually ties into their web really, really well, at least on PlayStation 3, which is what my experience is, right? Yeah. Um, when you want to go find, you can download trial versions of apps. And so, in fact, I think you, can, you don't even need media anymore to get apps on, on devices. You can just go online and buy them like you do with the App Store, True. et cetera. But- PlayStation 3 does have... Uh, trial apps because I have downloaded trial apps mm-hmm. and then bought them because they were so good. You see, it goes back yeah. to having that trial, being able sure. to try it out. Yeah. Certainly technically feasible, <laughs> suffice to say. Uh, yeah, but, you know, even if uh, those those consoles had an, a web browser inside of them and trial versions, et cetera, et cetera, the discoverability is really impaired by the fact that you can't link to them at all. Mm-hmm. Like, here's an example. I've got Magpie, right? So you go to magpievideo.com, and I've got links to the Mac App Store version and the iOS App Store version, right? Mm-hmm. But there's also an Apple TV version, and I cannot link you to that. 
you just have I just have to say go to your Apple TV and and search for it, uh, and that's really the only way because it's never going to appear in an editorial category. That's a standalone app, or does that does it come with when I when I buy the? Yes, uh, it, it comes with the iPhone version, right? Hmm. So the uh, the binary is attached to the iPhone version, but you still have to go to the Apple TV and download it hmm. separately. So, um, and that's just in the case of a of a paired app. So I, I combined Apple TV iOS app. But you know, if you've got a standalone Apple TV app, you are SOL when it comes to linking to it. It's 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 over. You can't even do it. Don't even try. So that, to my mind, is a is a huge gaping hole in the App Store that Apple has to take care of somehow. And I don't think it's technically impossible. Yeah. I'm just it's a it's a very strange omission. Yeah, I mean, and this is the thing we've been talking about the iPad Pro since it was you know just a speck on somebody's drawing board and and became a rumor that it was going to be coming. Is was how are we going to get better better experiences out of? It? And now that we've got it in our hands, you know, it's true. I mean, I you know. I do wonder where the where the big apps are, right? So, I think they're coming. I think you just yeah. let's let's um, come back to this in six months, say. So in June, we can uh, revisit this. Mark yeah, the calendars, and, folks. Yeah, I, I suspect that by then we'll have seen some examples of uh, let's call them major league apps, major league sports ball. All righty, there's a sports bar metaphor. You know okay. me and my sports. Mm-hmm. Do we want to talk about t- Ian Mordock for a minute or? Sure. You guys even know who he is? I know who he is, but... Uh, yeah, so I, I, my first experience with Linux, uh, what I say Linux, 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 um, was um, through Debian Linux was the first... Uh, I, I was running on a 68K Mac, of all things, and that was my experience. That's what I had available to me, and so I downloaded it and tried it out. And yeah, and, and Ian Murdoch passed away recently, I guess very recently, um, and he's the Ian in Debian, uh, even though I say Debian. <laughs> yeah, it should be Debian because, yeah, yeah that's... I can't yeah. believe he was only 42. That's how old I am. Really? It's wow. scary. It's kind of weird hmm. to see that happen. Yeah, so it's kind of a scary thing. You never know what's going to happen. But, yeah, I mean, just, just you know, I want to acknowledge the fact that, uh, yeah, he was the... It, it was his uh, project at, when he was in uh, um, as an undergrad, I think, or... Mm-hmm. What's the same article? Yeah, it was at uh, Purdue, I think it's at. Purdue, yeah. yeah. And he basically started up Debian as, as one of the first uh, builds of the new Linux operating system, right? So That is what I started on, too. I installed Debian, and then I moved to Slackware Linux, if everyone remembers that, for a oh, long yeah. time. But now on all uh, on my uh, Linode and my virtual machines and everything else I have, I always run uh, Debian Linux, so I'm back to it. Oh, really? Okay. Mm-hmm. Isn't um, Ubuntu is from Debian, isn't it? It is, yeah, yeah. And that's really the most popular Linux out there these days. Mm. So they went a little bit consumer with it, and they're like, "Oh, we've got the GUI already there and all that." But I'm always—I sure. don't use it on the desktop. I use it for servers and things. So I just go with—I uh, I think Ubuntu has like a server edition that doesn't install. Oh yes, it does. All that stuff. But I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna go with the source. Go with the uh, go with Debian. Rest in peace, buddy. Hmm. Twitter for Mac. We talked about Twitter for Mac. Do you want to talk about it again? Well, the the thing that we didn't talk about uh, in regards to it was its provenance, and okay. uh, the I think to me the surprising thing was the revelation that came out today via Jonathan White um, at Schwa on Twitter, uh, who formerly worked at Twitter, and uh, he he stated that uh, Twitter for Mac was not done in house; it was done uh, outsourced. 
And, oh, really? Okay. Uh, which, which I was a little surprised at, given that we know that Twitter has thousands of developers, of whom a sizable margin, no doubt, are Cocoa developers, right? Uh, no doubt focusing on iOS, I guess, but uh, um, definitely not focused on the Mac. And there was a little sarcastic golf clapping. You know this, right? Yeah. Uh, because it had been so long since we'd seen an update to uh, the official Twitter client on the Mac. Mm-hmm. So when it finally does come out and it does not have support for all the new features that Twitter's been working on, um, help me out here. What were they? Because I don't keep track of what Twitter does because I'm a TweetBot user. They have that new thing, Moments, which is so aggravating. Right. I can't stand it. <laughs> right. But that's not moments. in the Mac client, right? No, I told you. I, I just use the, uh, the, website the website because I'm so old. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, so you're, and, and apparently some bugs, but you know that's it's normal. I don't think that's a big deal. But uh, the Verge came out with this article that's linked in the show notes here, and it suggests that Twitter was developed by Black Pixel, very well known, very well respected uh, agency for developing iOS and Mac apps, and um, they independently have also developed uh, NetNewsWire. They bought that from Ranchero and have developed it themselves. And uh, Kaleidoscope is another one uh, that they have. These are mm-hmm. these are Black Pixel labeled apps, um, very well regarded. Uh, lots of great people there, and so people are saying, okay, well, Black Pixel screwed this up, you know, because really, they, yeah, people are saying that on the Twitters. On the tweeters? On the tweeters. Why, because you can't attach an image to a tweet? Is that what they're going on about? I don't know exactly what they're going on about. They're, they're like, they, they suggest that it's poor quality because it doesn't support the latest features that Twitter has come out with in the past year. Um, and it has some bugs in it, supposedly. So, and again, you know, like, I, <laughs> I have a really hard time blaming Black Pixel, you know? Like, they, they would take the job because it's obviously the smart thing to do if, you, if you're given the opportunity, right? But, you know, it's, it's also extremely possible, if not certain, that they had a very difficult time working against the deadlines um, imposed by the client, Twitter in this case, right? N- notice, notice the date today. Yes, it's December 30th, according to my calendar. And, and on that day, Twitter for Mac is released. Um, why, why today? Because somebody somewhere with a spreadsheet said that it must come out in 2015, right? I mean, when else, why else would you come out with an app of any kind right now during the holidays? Just well, think about it's that. It's almost you know. as crazy as announcing a, a developer conference. <laughs> On December 30th, exactly. Well, I'm sorry to say this, Tammy, but I suspect that Black Pixel worked a little harder to get Twitter for Mac out than you have for announcing DevStock. No doubt. I'm not no sure. Doubt. Just a little. I'm just just saying, suggesting. <laughs> um, it's it's crazy the kind of rush mentality that must have been going on there at Black Pixel uh, prior to pushing this out, and no doubt with a lot of um, omissions and sacrifices and shortcuts that are bearing out now in this this uh, mm. lack of features, right? But if if we know Black Pixel, then we can understand that if they have the mandate to continue with their work on an ongoing basis, that it's going to become a very good client. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, is I'm a yeah. big Black Pixel fan, too. And if they are sort of on the case, so to speak, exactly. then it's like, all right, so they've got, they had to rush out this release to get the 20, hit the 2015 target, that's fine. But are they going to be looking after it? Are we going to see a 4.1 release in a couple of months? That right. will be like what the 4 should have been. And are they going to keep looking after it? I mean, that's what I'm looking forward to really 
Exactly. Yeah. And I'm certain of it, Greg. I think it's got to be because why else would they, you know, put it out there to a shop like Black Pixel? Yeah. Well, looking at the tweets that went by between uh, Jonathan White and other people who were tweeting him back, he was saying, he was suggesting that they were just going to cancel the Mac app. And then someone made a last minute decision to no, we got to keep it. And so I feel like, all right, we got to keep it, but we don't want to invest in it. We don't have anyone who can do it. So we have to kind of farm it out to somebody. Let's get someone to do a release. And then what? Is that it? Is it like, we need someone to come out with one release for 2015, because that's what was promised, and then that's going to be it? Or is it like, no, we need to sign a long-term deal? Like, are they really thinking that far ahead, saying, we need to sign a long-term deal with somebody to look after this app for us and keep it up to date? Like, I certainly hope they did that, but I don't know. I'm not sure my confidence is that high that they're thinking that okay. far ahead. All right, so well, let's set another bookmark for the future then. <laughs> I'll yeah. go two months on this one. And when is the next point release? The point one release, Wait, yes. Again, where is yeah. Jaime when we need him? He's always predicting really good dates. <laughs> yeah, he is. Too bad, eh? <laughs> As another little side note I, I put in here, I, of course, had to go and dig around the app bundle once I downloaded the Twitter, oh, yeah. Twitter version 4. And mm. there are still many, many references to Tweety, Tweety2. You know, the classes are still named Tweety App Delegate and things like that, which suggests that... Um, j- just based on, hey, it's Twitter version 4, this is our big Mac release, I thought maybe it was a bit of a rewrite. Mm-hmm. But just based on the name, there's, I have no inside knowledge. I did not disassemble anything and compare it with the previous <laughs> binary. So I have no knowledge of it. But just based on the cursory examination that I could do, it looks like it was an update to the existing version, which again... Makes, Same code base. Makes it a little bit harder for... Uh, any shop, not just Black Pixel, but for anybody to pick up a, to pick up this ancient code base and say, "Hey, we need to roll out a new release." That just makes oh, the job totally. even more difficult, I imagine, if there's still Tweety stuff lurking in there somewhere. Definitely. You know, I see. I'm looking inside myself, and I see they have Growl framework yeah. installed here. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's there, baby. Crazy. Because there's no other way to do notifications on the Mac, of course. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Maybe they're supporting, like, you know pre-notification i don't know <laughs> i think the latest version of growl actually uses notification center doesn't it yeah, i think maybe you're right i remember that when notification center was announced the growl folks said oh mm. we're gonna have a little option that you can toggle and that way all of you apps who are using growl you can still use the growl api but it's actually going to call notification center sort of in the background for you or something like that so right. i sure hope that they're linking against the recent version of growl but yeah i saw that too <laughs> okay well, anyway, so we'll keep an eye out for that, and we'll know. I just love this uh, peek behind the curtain sort of thing, you know, when you get into especially large companies and see how they handle these sorts of things. It's super cool to have a sense of um, of how they do business, uh-huh. Uh-huh. serious business. So, um, and I, I asked uh, Jonathan White on Twitter, you know, um, I didn't ask him. I was like, I, I would have jumped all over that if I had worked at Twitter, because Jaime on Twitter suggested that perhaps um, nobody at Twitter wanted to do the Mac app. No, no developer like no i think i'll go work for uber thanks bye and yeah, yeah. um i said i would have jumped all over that and and jonathan white who was at twitter at the time that this was going down i guess uh, he since left uh he said i actually volunteered to do it and they said mm. no and uh jonathan white is a very capable developer he should have been in my opinion I was going to say, ahead. I was going to say, back in the day, like uh, at one point in time, the Facebook app was actually done by an outside house. I believe it was Big Nerd Ranch did that at one point, and I don't know where. I think it's in house now, but you know, I guess Ryan would be able to tell us that, but or maybe he wouldn't. Hmm. Yeah, I don't think they like to talk about this sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, 
They do have like a million iOS developers. So just based on the numbers, I would guess that, yes, it is all in-house now. Yeah, you would think, yeah. Yep. Well, okay. So seeing as it's, uh, as we record, it's like one day before the end of the year, um, it would seem a shame if we didn't sort of throw our hat into the ring and decide what we thought was the best and worst things of the year. Oh, bring it on. Bring, Bring it on, it. baby. Okay. Well, I, I, I scanned around and found a few things that were on the list of worst and bests. Um, and I guess I could just throw the Apple Watch under the bus right away and say that it was chosen by USA Today as the worst of their to- their worst five. I was going to say top five, but worst five. But isn't and- USA Today like the worst paper in the States anyway? <laughs> I don't know. We have an American. We can ask her. I don't what do you, watch what do, you, what do you align your, your goat cage with, Tammy? Your goat cage. She has a goat. I have lots of goat. I live on a farm, Aaron. Yeah, I know. I I knew that, but I didn't think you'd put them in a cage, like in your house or something. No, no, no. They're out in the pasture. But no, I don't listen to the news or watch the news, so I couldn't tell you much about USA Today. I do. Mm. I live under a giant rock. We don't have news here. Well, what do you, really well, so what do you guys think, like, in terms of, in ter- I think it's just in terms of, I mean, technically, yeah, it came out this year, didn't it? The Apple so Watch? What, yeah. Yeah. I don't like overall, it. Mine's sitting on my desk next to the rest of my iPad grave, yeah. So so uh, do, uh, do, have you written anything for it, or it just sort of sits there and, and lies with its little dead battery and pining to be charged? Or, well, once I it? picked it up off the floor from behind the desk, I, you know, and then charged it again. <laughs> I wrote something really stupid for it and then put it away. But I think... Greg, you do a lot of Apple Watch kind of stuff, don't you? I am working on a lot of... Well, I did, and I am working on some tutorials and things, videos for it. But mm-hmm. and I have been taking it out and wearing it once in a while now. I am. I was before a watch wearer, like a regular dumb watch, and I still wear it sometimes. But I don't know. I think as as you guys have discussed many times on this on this program as well, it's just where is the killer the killer app unfortunately is apple is just notifications right that's the, yeah that's the killer much. use case for it which is yeah. fine but if there's this they want this burgeoning app market for apple watch apps to appear and i don't think it's happened yet so is it just still to come we're just waiting i don't know what it is so i wouldn't call it the worst i wouldn't put it on the worst list because i think the tech itself is good and you're going to use it as a timepiece. you want to customize the complications on there and have some cool stuff in there have mm-hmm. the activity tracking, so I wouldn't I wouldn't put them in the worst. I'm not sure I'd put them in the best, but it's definitely in terms of tech a solid launch. I think does it have staying power? Right. I don't know. I mean, I think the one thing I noticed with the Apple TV, which is maybe on one of these lists as well, is they said the future of TV is apps. Right? That's yeah. how we're going to yeah. interact with it. And they said that at launch. Exactly, and they didn't say that for the watch, and they no one has really said that anything like that for the watch, and so that just I don't know. I mean. It doesn't really mean anything, but I'm just thinking, is the future of the watch and the future of wearables also apps, or is it not? Is it something else? So I guess we're just still waiting. Yeah, and I think what I've said before is, is we don't know where this wearable stuff is going in general, right? So, and, and I say that about a lot of the new tech that comes out, like, you know, where, what is the watch for? I mean, I, I, you know, I use it when I go outside now, and, and uh, you know, I, I look, I glance, I like glancing at it to see what the weather is, you know, mm-hmm. and making my decision on how, what, you know, how much clothing I'm going to put on now that we've got winter here in Canada. Thank you, uh, the uh, El Nino or whatever it was. Screw um, you, El Nino or whatever it was. <laughs> I hate the El Nino. God. 
<laughs> brought to you by uh, the tornadoes in Tennessee. Um, tornadoes are so fun. <laughs> I know. It's like, you know, well, yeah, I think we'd rather have snow, thanks. But um, Back on topic, Tim. Come on, hit, hit us. Yeah, coming back coming back to the watch. So, I mean, I use it to check my check the weather real quick. You know, I use it to check in and out of Swarm, for example. Um, I, you know, when, you, when Tammy and... and um, uh, Greg were tweeting about the uh, what they were drinking while during the podcast. You know, I got the notifications as I was taking the garbage out. You know, so those are kind of handy. I mean, like exactly the killer app for me is definitely notifications to be able to sort of see. I love being able to look at who's calling me on the phone and decide I'm going to smother the phone. I love being able to smother the phone to, to make it stop ringing. That's great. Uh, or watch, I should say. Um, you know, though, I know a lot of people who love the watch and they use it all the time. We have one on the podcast, I think. Yeah. I, I. It's just not for me. But then again, you know, Greg, you said something pretty interesting, that you were a watch wearer before the Apple Watch. I, however, yeah. was not. I'm not a watch wearer. I don't even wear my wedding rings. I don't mm-hmm. like to have any of that stuff on me. So I'm really a horrible person to ask about the Apple Watch. And I know that there are a lot of people who love it, use it, and I have to disagree with USA Today and them calling it the worst tech. It's the worst tech for me, but there's mm-hmm. a lot of people who love it. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of worse tech out there than than, than that specifically. I think I think their sort of their commentary was the fact. That I think everybody kind of expected it to be the next big thing, and actually the next big thing was the iPad Pro, if I might say so. But um, Aaron, what do you think about the Apple Watch? You've you've always been a supporter of it. Yeah, of course I'm a big fan, and for all the reasons we said, right? Like it's just uh, it's ubiquitous in my life right now, and it's it's not for any app on the watch. It's just for the stuff that came in the box. So yeah. um, to me, that's that's worth it. I I have all my life been a watch wearer, but for the couple of years leading up to the Apple Watch intro, I wasn't because mm-hmm. I had a phone in my pocket and my watches, my analog watches had an uncanny insistence on not working. And so <laughs> I, I ended up just saying, ah, screw it, I'm not wearing a watch today. And then it just rolled and it kept on going. And so um, when the watch came out, I sort of reattained my I'm a watch wearer status mm-hmm. and I haven't looked back. Um, it's just enormously functional for me for all the reasons that we've talked about. So um, I would certainly not have it on the worst tech. Uh, I think it's a contender for best. Uh, depends how long a list we're allowed to have. You know, I think anything that... that makes it onto my wrist every single day um, has got to be a win in somebody's book. Yeah. Yeah. I think from the developer standpoint, once there is a little bit more customization, like custom, completely custom watch faces, I mean, we have complications and I think that's going to be, if they, if the watch is, if the, if the watch OS was frozen exactly how it is, I think complications will be the way to go going into Uh the future for developers. That's something that uh, people will, will really, really need to look into. But then I think if more customizable watch faces come into play, then yeah, that's going to probably be the killer app. Because it's not going to be... I don't think it's going to be like a third-party app, like, oh, I have to check Facebook on my watch. That's going to be the killer <laughs> app. It's going to be the watch as the device itself with the glance. Like, not even the glance. I'm not even talking because, I don't know, nobody looks at glances. But it's just you hold the watch up and you see your watch face. That's going to be it. That and notifications. Like, system-level stuff is, I think, going to be the killer app. So anything you can do to customize that, making custom dynamic notifications if you're a developer doing that making complications is like going to be a must i think because that's you know, the way Greg, people if, are going to interact with it if if i could have a custom watch face i would wear the apple watch i think a really? lot of people would and then uh, people were saying oh i want to buy a custom you know i want to have a custom watch face and offer it for sale for 99 cents or whatever 99 cents or whatever sure. right and have that kind of thing so if if that's what they do with the watch os 3 announcement 
And I think that's going to give it some some new legs and and you know because that's the thing you look at all the time. That is yeah. And again, the killer app of it is the watch itself, watch functionality itself. So I sure hope they go that way. And with a little bit, you know, bit of a speed bump, hardware bump, I think uh, it'll be a it'll be a nice long tail of watch sales. I hope. Yeah, but it's one of these surprising things that that I guess the Apple, the manufacturer, doesn't think about, like how much importance people put out over what desktop image they have on their on their their desktop, or or uh, like what what face they could have on their watch, you know, mm-hmm. kind of thing, right? So. Well, I mean, I think that was the performance issue was why we had the very odd and crappy extension model with watchOS 1 and then they loosened yeah. it up for watchOS 2 so i think they were worried about whatever performance battery whatever it is they were worried mm-hmm. about but mm-hmm. um i mean there's only one direction that's going to go right we're going to have longer battery life and it's going to be a faster processor faster thinner and yeah. Yeah. developers will have more stuff to do so that's just the trajectory it's just a matter of how long it's going to take and whether that time is going to be short enough that people won't write off the watch before that happens but um I think they'll pull it off. Well, but I think we said this before, and just for the listeners at home, the Apple Watch happens to be on the best list and the worst list on our on our notes here. I um, put it in the best. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, I just I, I didn't notice you do that, but yeah, that's true. It, it does belong there. But um, what this this subscriptions hands in pockets? What well, is this, this is another this is another thing that was sort of uh, was picked out was the, and and I've sort of mentioned this before is that there seemed to be this year or the last couple of years that subscriptions you know things being things going to subscription models companies like lynda.com have had subscription models all along but now the Adobe's are just starting to do it and Microsoft Microsoft is doing has been doing it for a couple of years now as well with their 360 product um, Apple with the hardware that's right. Yeah, <laughs> in the states anyway. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it, it's interesting though because we talked about the pricing of of things. Like here in Canada, we have a CRTC ruling that now made um, the longest contract you could have two years, and that what that did was just push the price of of uh, services up. And if you do the math on it, it, it's only a few hundred dollars more over over the two years to than it would be to just go out and buy the buy the device, right? Like Aaron's been doing for many years, right? You do you buy your watch your or your iPhone outright, Greg? I when I used to buy them on the off years, off contract years, then I kind of had no choice but to buy them outright. But yeah. the iPhone six is the last phone that I bought, and I got mm-hmm. that from the contracts. So I got it for the subsidized price. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. No, I've I've been I've, because my wife and I are our contracts are every second year, so or we're offset by year, so I've been able to go back and forth and this is the first year i haven't actually bought a new phone so because i knew the ipod pro was coming and i wanted to save my dinero for that hmm. Hmm. well they put subscription subscriptions are in the worst tech that's what they who well, where did yeah, you get so this list from this that came hmm, that may have been from the same place usa today but it was the point was about all these hands in your pocket well netflix and but i mean netflix has always sort of been subscription model hasn't it like yeah yep, yep, even, yep. even when it was a disc uh, discs that you could get yep 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 so yeah, hmm. so somebody's uh, talking about the whole nickel and diming of it. That yeah, you know, you're going to yeah. pay a subscription for everything. You can't do that. Like, there's got to be a certain amount of, um, you know, before you fill up and just decide you're not going to pay for anything, and you're well, going to keep I, your hands in your pockets. Is that I'll why? You, this is yeah, I tell you, as as a creative person or as an artist or whatever, I, you know, if when Adobe had the three, they had three streams. Basically, they had the publishing stream. They had the web development stream, and they had, I forgot what the third stream was, but you could pay for your creative suite based on what kind of work you needed to do. So I didn't need InDesign, but I, you know, and, you know, so I was doing some web stuff, so I, I appreciated having a Dreamweaver uh, and some of the Flash tools and stuff like that. But so I would buy, you know, the Photoshop, Illustrator, 
web tools package, right? As opposed to buying the InDesign package for the, for the publishing, right? Uh-huh. Um, and I didn't have a problem spending, you know, 24 or whatever it was, $2,000 or $1,700 a year, or not every year, but <laughs> to buy it, to out- buy it outright and have a license as opposed to paying it like, you know, paying it forward as it were sort of leasing software if you will i guess we're all leasing software after a fashion anyway right hmm because we don't own it so they say so they say uh okay i hear you um but it's um especially on the ipad and in the app store these days right like the earlier discussion we were just having subscription um is actually one of the possible savior models that are available to us as developers Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. um because you could then give away your app for free yeah. There's there's your low barrier to entry, uh, and then make your money on a service that's based in the app itself. Yeah, and I think there were some rules around the subscriptions I heard the other day. I can't remember what it was, but it has to it has to enhance the experience of using the app. Like it has to add some feature functionality to it, if I'm not mistaken, or it has to add add resources or something. Yeah. Before you're allowed to add subscriptions into your app. Yeah. Like it can't um, just be I want two bucks a month from you forever. That's right. Like for auto renewing subscriptions, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. yeah you have to any, offer a service. Yeah. Or like an issue or like if it's a magazine or something like that. Right. Right. Well, it was originally that functionality. And now we're speaking specifically of the in-app purchase capability, mm-hmm. auto renewing subscription. Uh, when that was first introduced, it was specifically for publications. Right. But now um, that, that capability is available for applications that offer uh, an online service component, for example, mm-hmm. uh, something like a Netflix. Right. Um and even in that instance, you know, like that app is useless without the <laughs> subscription price, right? Like it's basically it's just Can't a login get through the front door, exactly. No, yeah. Yeah. no, um, which is which is itself kind of surprising. And I wonder if if any other app tried that, if they would get through the app review process. Hmm. 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 <laughs> anyway, subscriptions as a worst tech, you know, I don't know. Um, are we talking like in the tech world or just Apple? Well, I, th- I think we're talking in our market here. I mean, we could start talking about the best stuff here that we've got on our yeah. list. Let's and, talk and best. Let's be positive, Tim. Be po- so, so Swift. Somebody put Swift on the list. I put Swift on the list. Really? I sure did. You you did. Yeah. Well, co- let's let's be clear. This is not uh, 2015. Is not the year Swift was introduced. Right. 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 Duh. But it is yeah. the first year that uh, that Swift became. Um, feasible technology to use to actually program applications yeah right? uh and it's the year that i started using it so you know that's that's all that matters it's me <laughs> me 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 so i think people i don't know that people will look back you know historians will know that swift was launched in 2014 but uh developers uh the world over will will regard 2015 as the year they started using swift yeah perhaps yep I think because that's when it, you know, 2.0 came out, the tooling improved so that, you know, regular developers could use it and uh, it kind of took off from there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's the open say. sourcing of Swift as well in this year, I think yes, really was the absolutely. coming out party for Swift. I would say Swift 3, I would almost think maybe next year Swift 3 will be when like everybody says, all right, now, I don't know, ABI yeah. stability, all that kind of nonsense. Now I'm going to, it's safe to use kind of thing. Um, right. It's kind of solidified down a little bit, but yeah, I think the open sourcing of it this year was a was mm. a huge thing. So I would give that a thumbs up for best tech for sure for 2015. So for those developers that live under rocks, Tammy, um, what do you think about Swift? I know you've been using Swift for quite a while now as well, right? I actually enjoy it. I know when it first came out, I was kind of apprehensive about it 
I guess I really don't like change, but I have been using it. And now from this point forward, I mean, whenever I'm starting a new project, it's that's the first thing I go to is Swift. I I try to stay away from Objective-C, which is kind of funny and ironic because, like I said, I was very apprehensive at first when Swift was announced. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, I can tell you that I just started a project um, last month. And I worked on it for a couple of weeks, and I got busy with other things. And I just went back to it. And, and, you know, after spending the last, you know, three weeks just concentrating on Switch specifically, I couldn't go back to doing it. So I just started the app from the beginning and started rewriting it again today in Swift. So, And I got caught up to where I was, like, within a day. So I, I am, I'm having, I'm starting to have what I'm saying. is I'm starting to have uh, the same sort of agreed feelings that I can't, Think of starting an app and object to see, even though it's you know, like you said, it still still very still still very natural in a sense, right? Feels clunky at this point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess, I guess, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, there's a whole lot of other requirements. I mean, things that things that we don't we. I, I mean, I don't know about you, but I haven't done much in in a, in a header file in a long time. You know. Um, unless I want to make something public in Objective C, you know, I've really done much. I've done most of my declaring of thing variables and instant variables and stuff like that, right in the implementation file for for the last year or even more, right? So, so it just feels natural now that we're in Swift. We don't have to worry about all that kind of stuff. Things just you know automatically get registered throughout the whole app, and those are the things that I like about Swift. Mm-hmm. You know, because it reminds me of, of back in the day when I was working in in other web projects like php for example when that became object oriented it was very easy to start you know doing inheritance and stuff like that in the same same sort of way you don't have to keep declaring things all over the place like you do in objective c right that is true well i put ad blocking on the list because i don't really enjoy people watching what i'm doing all day long um what do you guys think about ad blocking especially in ios ios 9 and, and in the mac has it reached the masses, you think? I think the whole issue of privacy and people keeping track of what you're doing has started to kind of poke its head out and mm-hmm. beyond the not the nerd circles. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't think my immediate family member, non-nerdy family members, I don't think they're using ad blockers. So I don't think it's kind of penetrated to that level yet. But So you don't think it bothers them that when they go into like Amazon and start poking around at, you know, the next thing they're going to buy, and then they go to Facebook and they see an ad for that same thing that they just looked at 10 minutes ago. I think some people find that convenient, you know? Some people are like, oh, that's awesome, because I was just searching for that, and now there's an (laughs) ad for it. This is awesome. It's like it knew who I was. But the whole thing about the whole privacy issue is just started to, like I said, poke its head out. But I don't think it's reached the kind of mainstream and people are all installing ad blockers and using Ghostery and things like that to stop trackers, not just ads, but trackers. But Yeah. um, Yeah, I mean, iOS 9 definitely helped. I'll give mm-hmm. it that. Yeah, it's funny though. I, I really do notice, like, if I click on a web link in the Twitter app, you know, I can, uh, you see the ads again. Whereas if I go to Safari, I don't necessarily see them at all, right? So I'm really, ca- I'm really aware of the, you know, the white gaping white holes in in the places where the ads are being blocked mm. uh, when I go to Safari and iOS. And and admittedly, it's got to be a lot faster than than uh, used to be, right? So especially when I, I used the Ghost app on on my Mac, and you know, if I go to a website and, and there's like 57 of these trackers listed like it like this the list doesn't even scroll on my 27 inch monitor that's how many things there are or i mean it scrolls off right um that's ridiculous you know i I understand that you know these people who run websites for a living need to do make do need to make money but not not to the point where they've got thousand tools in there right yeah, I mean, Ghostery blocks things like widgets and things and the comments, which I <laughs> is an unintended benefit. It often blocks comments, like if you use Discuss or um, whatever other systems are out there. That's a, that's a nice bonus that I like. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I do turn back on like Google Analytics, things like that, because yeah, yeah, uh, I love analytics and browsing analytics and looking at all that stuff on my own sites, and so I mm-hmm. figure I should I should allow that kind of thing through. Yeah, I mean things like things like that where, where you know yeah, but there's there there are kinds of all kinds of other little trackers as well. I mean I've been running like uh, sort of a tracker scanner on my other Mac for a long long time, and and uh, once a week it pops up on Monday and says here's all these people tracking you and. So I've been aware for that about that for a long time, but yeah, I mean, basically anything I use myself on my own site, I allow because I figure if I'm I'm doing it to other people, that's not a nice way to say it. But if I'm doing it, then I figure I should allow it through for other people. So things, I think it's just Google Analytics is the one thing that shows up on my site, and I also mm-hmm. have a tweet button somewhere on my site as well, and so mm-hmm. I allow the tweet button through. But that's it. So Tam, you do a lot of web development, right? Still or. I wouldn't say that I do a lot. I do my fair share. It's not my favorite yeah. thing to do, but I do have no. some some people I I work on their stuff mm-hmm. for them. Mm-hmm. And, and so, I, what do you what do you think about the ad blocking whole thing? It's funny you mention that because my kids, both my kids, encourage me to use ad blocking because they they all use it. I don't use it though. However, you know, Greg, you were saying people find it a good thing when you're looking for something on Amazon and then you go to Facebook and that's there. I actually can't stand that. It, yeah. It's so, it's kind of creepy for mm-hmm. one. And then it kind of messes up my feed. You know, I'm, I'm there on Facebook to see what family and friends are up to, not to buy stuff on Amazon. If I want to buy stuff on Amazon, I'd go on Amazon. But at the same time, you know, I could see where you're coming from. You know, if you're if you're looking for something and you didn't quite find it, or you know there was a late related product item, I guess it could be helpful. So, I don't know. I I have mixed feelings about it. Yeah, I think people find it funny. Like you see tweets about like, oh, I just just on Facebook and it sure keeps showing me lawnmowers because I was googling lawnmowers and people like uh-huh. laugh about it and the post gets fifty likes and people are like, yeah, isn't that funny and whatever. But I'm just waiting for it to cross over into creepy scary when people start to not like it like i i feel the same way tammy i don't like it either but um again it's it's still like a novelty and people again find it funny or find it amusing so i'm just hoping that it keeps up and gets creepier and then it it crosses over um for other people so for me last christmas i was looking for a present for my wife to surprise her just you know something that she hadn't thought about that she would really enjoy and so i went on amazon and looked around and of course i was a little late getting to the table in terms of placing the order so i had to go to an actual retail store and buy it but the fact that i had gone to amazon and saw, and seen the thing and then like i think i've mentioned on the show before she uses the same same facebook account that i use right so she's sitting there in in, in facebook and down the right hand side of the page is all these ads for this present i was going to buy her you know so it's kind of like hey facebook you're spilling the beans here you know and that that i found that really annoying did so she I, know tim like was that she didn't like, put two did... and two together but i know why yeah. would she yeah, well, exactly. But but then again, that's the same thing, you know, like, uh, you know, you have to be careful about what you look at online, <laughs> you know, when your partner is going to look at look on the same computer as you. I'm sure that happens a lot with a lot of people, right? So private browsing, yeah, I, Tim. Yeah. Got to have your own Mac. Exactly. Exactly. Well, gotta, no, no. You, there's a private browsing mode for Safari, right? So yeah. They, yeah. Yeah. Right, I don't know if that would help you in this case. Yeah. But that requires effort, though. But then mm. I got the ad blockers. I'm happy. How about the Apple TV? So, yeah, I was going to say, we've been skirting around these two other... We've talked about these two other products that are on our list, and one of them is the iPad Pro, and the other is the Apple TV. So, why is the Apple TV on this list? Because it's hella cool. Hella cool. (laughs) Hella. Hella cool. (laughs) 
Because you can watch The Walking Dead whenever you want on the Apple TV. That's right. <laughs> the only thing I don't like about the Apple TV is the uh, the remote sometimes. It, it's the, the slightest tiny bit of touch, yeah. and it pauses it and fast-forwards and rewinds whatever you're watching. And that is extremely frustrating. Oh, I have a pro tip for you, Tammy. Oh, you do? I do. Here's a pro tip. This may or may not help you. But it helped me enormously. So if you do that, you stumble on the touchpad and you start scrubbing the playhead. It actually, it does not start playing from the moment that it comes to rest, right? Um, If you hit the button, then it does. Uh, But what you can do is hit the menu button at any time and it'll bring you right back to where you started. Cool. So if you're like in minute two or three of the video and you scroll ahead by mistake into minute 16... You can actually just hit menu, and it goes right back to minute two again and starts playing again. So, so I have a question. Do you maybe have a pro tip for this one? Is there like a 10-second rewind? Yes. Uh, you can rest your thumb on either edge of the touch area of the remote, ah. and you can, you'll see a little back arrow mm-hmm. on, the, on the left side and a front arrow on the right side appear on the play area. But you don't have to wait for that to appear. You can just tap on the left or right edges to go forward or backward 10 seconds. Yeah, the click, right? Not tap. Yeah, sorry. Click, yes. Oh, so you click on the, on the, on the edge of it. That's right. Yeah. Left and right. You know when you, if you have like a podcast app and if you have your phone on the lock screen, it's got that round um, yeah. circular yeah. arrow pointing to the left, circular to the right yeah. with the little 30 inside or whatever. It, yeah. You'll see that when you just... Dep- depends on the your, app you're using, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like not the music app, but like podcast apps tend to have the you know, 10 second, 30 second skip or whatever. And I think mm-hmm. there's a setting in the menu to say, is that right, Aaron? How many seconds you want that to be? I believe so, yes. Yeah, so you can, I think it's 30 by default, 30 seconds forward and back. On the Apple TV, it's 10 seconds. 10 seconds, all right, never mind. Yep. Okay then, MacBook 12 uh, was, was my, one of my new acquisitions this year, and I'm a huge fan uh, because it is so incredibly thin and light and yet has a full Mac OS X experience inside of it on a Retina um, 12-inch display which has the real estate of my old 13-inch display, and yet is so thin and light that I can, I can pinch it between my thumb and forefinger and carry it around. Uh, it's just the most portable Mac that it's ever been, and I'm a huge, huge, huge fan of it. It's also what beautiful. are the specs um, on that? Well, the specs are not uh, that fantastic. That's what I thought, because <laughs> um, I remember looking at it. And thinking, this is really cool looking. And then I started to look more at it and was like, this is just not going to do what I need it to do. But it's really cool and really small and portable. Yeah. So to give you some context, uh, I have a Retina 5K iMac 27-inch as well. I bought them at the same time. And uh, so the idea is that I, I have my desktop Mac that I use in the mornings. And then I push all my code to GitHub. And I go to the coffee shop and work in the afternoons with my MacBook 12-inch. And so I use both uh, quite extensively, and there is no question that the MacBook is slower <laughs> than the uh, iMac, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is not unusably slow by my estimations. Uh, so to give you the specs, it's a 1.2 gigahertz Core M processor with 8 gigs of RAM, and it has this one has a 500 gig SSD drive. Hmm. Um, you can definitely notice that it's not as fast as the Retina 5K iMac, which is arguably the fastest Mac that you can buy today. Uh, so it's just kind of funny that I've got one ones at both ends of the spectrum, you know? But I think I use the MacBook more than I use the iMac. 
because it's just so much easier to pull out and use at any time. Um, I think we're at the point now, you know, I, I would love for this to be a faster computer. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but it's, it's performance is fine. It's fine. I would say it's fine. <laughs> fine for, for coding and email yeah, and writing, web you know, surfing, but probably no, not much I, more than that, right? I use it for Xcode. If there's no nothing harder uh, that I put it into than Xcode, so if, is there like like video editing? No, I'm not doing any of that. Um, couldn't. Xcode, I think, is pretty demanding of it, and there are times when it certainly seems to be like opening a storyboard, for example. Um, or when I was working for a client uh, last year, we had a very large code base, and uh, back before Swift two came out and all that tooling, uh, trying to compile this app with Swift code in it. Uh, was an extremely time-consuming process on the MacBook. Um, but since then, it's gotten a lot better. One port, Aaron. How big a deal is it? Not not that big a deal at all. Uh, yeah, like the, the the idea is that the the MacBook can be used uh, with its battery only. Like I I never use it while it's plugged into power. Uh, so that port's always available. Uh, the only thing that I I would ever plug into it. No, right now, I'm using it right now to record this podcast. Uh, I plug my, my mic into it, so the port's being used right now. Um, but other than this, when I'm developing, I'll plug uh, an iPad or an iPhone into it to push apps to it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the only way. That's the only thing. Um, and I only need one port. So I'm not, I'm not running around looking for you know, um, SD card slots or you know, plugging multiple things in like a printer or an external hard drive. You know, because I already have the desktop Mac uh, that I run at the same time, uh, it takes care of all that stuff. And the MacBook is really more of a satellite computer in that I can just use Git to pull everything in that I, that I need to work with and then push it back up. And um, if this computer's hard drive, you know, died right now, well, not during this podcast, but, you know, like after I backed up this podcast, uh, <laughs> it would be no loss, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's no data here that I don't have in any other place. I'm, I'm just, you know, that's just how I have this computer set up. Like, if, if the hard drive disappeared, and I would be okay. Yeah. I, and I have a similar workflow to you, that I, I tend to work, sit at my desk in the morning, you know, with my, my you know, um, what do you call this? Display port adapter, like, monitor thing, LCD monitor. What do you call this thing? Just have to look at look at its name on uh, color LCD display, um, and then I, I work on that, and I've got the keyboard and the mouse and the, and the Magic Trackpad all hooked up to that. And then you know when I feel like I want to go sit in the kitchen or you know sit on the couch later on tonight, I'll just unplug all the all the ports and go sit on the couch and work. Right, same sort of similar ideas as that. Yeah. Yep. So do we want to go over the Mac Pro or iPad Pro? We already talked about it quite a bit. We did talk about it quite a bit, but. Uh... You know, you seem to be a big fans of it. Oh my gosh, the sound on it. We didn't oh, talk about no. the sound on it. That's true, that's true. I loaded up Harry Potter and I put mm-hmm. it on and it echoed off of every wall and I felt like it was in a little tiny mini movie theater just for me. <laughs> it was so cool. Yeah, it's cool. It's, I think we talked. We did talk about the sound before on the show, but what it does is it's got the four speakers and the, the two one, whichever, whichever speakers are at the bottom, it pushes the bass sounds out of, and then the, all the treble and whatever come out the top. So you sort of get this 
quadraphonic kind of mix happening. And then if you rotate your iPad, the speakers reorient themselves. And this, and because they've got that echo chamber built into them, I guess because they have the extra space, it is very, it's very much a different uh, sounding device. Like I notice when I'm on my iPad or so, what's this thing called? iPhone six plus. I notice when I'm watching a video on that that you know all the sounds being pushed out the one edge of the of the phone because I tend to watch videos in landscape on that one, right? But um, or actually, there's only one speaker on this thing. Um, but yeah, the iP- the sound on the iPad Pro is amazing. I was totally sure. at Hogwarts without a doubt. <laughs> I mean, I was there, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, I love the iPad Pro. It, it's it's awkward when you're sitting on a streetcar and you have to pull it out when your phone is dying, but uh, you know, and you feel like a big dork. You know, this big giant thing. It's a good thing I can't make calls on it because I look really dumb, right? Tim, it's not the iPad. <laughs> oh, yes, that's true. That's true. Well, I, I can see, uh, imagine justifying getting an iPad Pro if I were using it more like you are, Tim, as, yeah. uh, as you know, the, the majority of our work is being done there now, yeah, as yeah. you've said. Tammy, is that the same case uh, for you? No, really, I just use it to draw when I'm not near my Cintiq. I, I don't really use it for anything else. I don't really like to write on it. I, I have I also have a 13 inch MacBook Pro, and that's primarily what I'm using now because unfortunately I'm not able to be at my office that has the big 27 inch iMac. Um, but I I can't I personally can't use an iPad whether it be a Pro or anything else as a primary oh. device to do my big heavy lifting on. For me, for me it really is just a companion device. If if the iPad Air 3 came out and it was largely similar to the iPad Air 2. Uh, but had Apple Pencil support and four speakers and, um, you know, all the other performance characteristics of the iPad Pro. Would you prefer that? Well, probably just because it's a little bit smaller. But I still wouldn't, it still wouldn't be my, it would still be a companion device for me. Yeah, I guess that's the point I'm coming to is where I see the iPad Pro as, you know, this is my computer, you know. Um, whereas for you, it's just, it's just a, like for me, uh, how an iPad is to me, an iPad is a consumption device, but you know, it's, it's always going to be a companion to the other devices in my life. It's not going to replace any of them. Whereas for you, actually, it seems like, you know, it's replaced whatever, you know, is convenient for you to, uh, to draw with when you're not at your Cintiq. Is, right. that, is that slave to your power uh, MacBook or your... That's uh, that's to my iMac. Yeah, that's that's attached right. to the iMac. And one of the reasons I was so excited about the iPad Pro and the Apple Pencil was because I have another project that's coming up. And because I'm not able to be on the iMac as much as I need to be to meet the deadlines of that project, getting this what I call companion device or you know a device that I can be where I need to be and not be tied to the iMac to get it done was a huge thing for me. And I could not do it with the existing iPad and the uh, Pencil by 53. I also didn't want to get the um, Companion. Now, here's for confusing terms, but the Cintiq Companion (laughs) is what I'm referring to now. I I wasn't sure if I was going to get the Cintiq Companion or the iPad Pro and the Apple Pencil. And I figured my my line of thinking behind it was, I already have a Cintiq. I already use that for my primary device. The iPad Pro is really just for me when I'm on the go. 
and specifically for this project uh-huh. because I know I'm not going to be at the I, at the iMac to work on my Cintiq. Plus, I'm an iPhone developer. I'm an iOS developer. I'm a Mac developer. I can't do much development on a Cintiq. Indeed. Or an iPad Pro. Well, I meant developing for, not necessarily on. Right, right. I mean, I will, I will admit this. I mean, as much as I would really like to do 90, uh, 99.9% of my work on iPad Pro, you do nef- definitely notice the differences between iOS and Mac. Like when you're working on things, like certain things just don't work properly. Like the, I still wrestle with the keyboard and uh, the way it automatically um, highlights the shift key, but it's not really as if the shift key is being held down. It's, it's kind of an awkward. Do you use an external keyboard or do you use the soft I, keyboard? I use, I use the keyboard built in. I don't really. Have the, I, yeah, I just use the regular case, and uh, yeah, I tend I tend to do more more sort of kind of drawing activities, and I I have no problem typing with this keyboard. Um, so I don't use a Bluetooth keyboard or anything like that yet. You know. I think this is their best soft keyboard yet. Yeah, definitely, and and I do I do like the fact that there's there's access to all kinds of keys, and you don't have to go through that goofy you know hold down the A B C one two three keyboard to switch back and forth between numbers, even even though right. I know a few shortcuts around that, you know. Uh, but but it is annoying that you know when you get a new when you go to a new line, it automatically highlights a shift key, meaning that your your alphanumeric alphabet keys are are. Um, are highlighted, but it's not the modifier keys. Like so, you can't. You, if you want to hit a dollar sign or a pound or an at symbol, you kind of have to hit the shift key to turn it off, and then hit the shift key to turn it back on again to get the modifier uh, mode. Which is so. So from a, if you're a touch typer, that would drive you nuts, and it does. It does drive me nuts. So, but yeah. But the other thing too is like there's just there there are just some shortcomings in iOS that that aren't there in the Mac, right? Because the Mac is so much more evolved in terms of the whole you know you have op- access to the whole operating system pretty much on the on the mac right so you have access to so much more tools you know like you can like the emoji keyboards and all that kind of stuff that you can just get to that you just can't do on the ipad it's, it's like there's a couple of extra clicks or you have to switch back in, in into one app to do one thing or another right so okay but you know we're getting off topic tim yeah we're talking about the iPad Pro as best tech of 2015. Yeah, and I'm talking. About, I'm just talking about the shortcomings <laughs> of the iPad Pro. The fact that 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 it it is it's still my favorite device, but there are but there definitely are some things that are that are different between running you know using a Mac proper and using an uh, an, an iPad Pro. And I've mentioned it before several several times before. If I could do Xcode on the iPad Pro, I would be a happy camper, but I can't. So right yet. Yeah yet. Yeah, we need Xcode Lite or something like that. <laughs> no, that's just it. We were talking about this earlier. Change your mentality. iPad Pro can use full-featured apps, so there's no reason yeah. there shouldn't be a full-featured Xcode for iPad. No, iPad yeah, Pro. I, yeah, and 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 to that point, that comes back to like, why would a developer build that at this point in time? So Apple should, not a developer. Oh. So let's move on. Uh, there's one more item in this list we haven't spoken about, right? Which is. Gameplay Kit? Gameplay Kit is awesome. I mean, if if you're developing games for iOS or Mac, then it, it to me, it was kind of like the the Cocos 2D Sprite Kit thing, right? I was always mm-hmm. intimidated with Cocos 2D. And then when Sprite Kit came out, I was kind of like, oh, wow, I could totally do this. Mm-hmm. And if you have any doubts about being able to create a game in either of those platforms because you're confused with, you know, artificial intelligence or you need help with pathfinding or, you know, whatever the case may be, 
gameplay kit has you covered and they've made it so simple and so straightforward to use that I had to put it on my pick list because I just I I, I love it and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I just have a quick question on that Tammy. What would you say is with what kind of things could you do with gameplay kit if you're not are there things you could do with it if you're not writing a game? Yeah, there are as a matter of fact. Um one of the big things is the the uh randomization, right? So if you need any type of random numbers, then you can do it right in gameplay kit and you can, you know, mimic six-sided die for example or 20-sided die or you can you can give a, you know, an average value and it and it doesn't have to be game related. You can use it in what I would probably label like a business app or a productivity app. Um, certainly, you can use the randomization in games as well, but definitely you can use it outside of a gaming environment. Hmm. None of us are game developers here. <laughs> that's why I was asking, is there anything for yeah. non-game developers? But I, I'm pretty sure there was, so that's why I wanted to, wanted to clarify. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's the same as you could use some parts of, some parts of Sprite Kit in, in regular apps as well, for if you want to add some dynamic you know movement to your app or whatever. Mm. Um, you can use parts of Sprite Kit in, in a regular app, like pre- maybe presentation mode or something like that. Um, there's so quite a few things. It's interesting because I did actually go down the, the Cocos 2D um, route for a while. One of my apps on the App Store is still written in Cocos 2D. But, um, and, and I found that the Sprite Kit, when it first came out, didn't quite have all the bells and whistles that Cocos 2D added. In, sim- in a similar way that Sprite uh, Swift, when it first came out, didn't seem to all be there, right? Um, and it's taken a while for for uh, Sprite Kit to catch up to the point where you know I could look at doing an app or a game app specifically in Sprite Kit, and I, and I started playing around with game cape, gameplay kit. I was inspired by Tammy's uh, tutorial that she did on um, Linda dot com recently, um, and I talked about this last week. And so I spent the last you know took a couple of hours here and there to go through some um, stuff on. Um, what do you call those things? Entities and what's the other thing that brings out a C, Tammy? Components. Components and entities and learning how to use those and, and uh, create relationships with things on your screen. And um, I'm dying to get at, at uh, flocking, but I haven't really found any any sort of good guided hand step-throughs to do that. So, But, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fun thing to play around with. Um, you know, yeah. Greg, also, too, in addition to the randomization, you know, to just could just sorry it just occurred to me that you could use state machines as well outside mm. of a gaming environment and probably even more so than you would use randomization mm, yeah i mean there's all kinds of especially I'm, I'm thinking like business logic back in the day when mm-hmm. i did that kind of thing for um like more businessy apps and websites and that kind of thing then yeah well-defined states and state transitions and all of drawing state transition diagrams i used to do that a lot so yeah that's a good well, uh, it's another good example definitely look at gameplay kit and the state machines because you know we're we're used to having these as game developers anyway you know in in our update methods we're used to having these huge huge if statements you know if if your current state is this then do that if it's this then do that if it's this Mm -hmm. then do that and it, it just gets very hairy with state machines and gameplay kit you have all these different machines controlling that and you have you know a single machine can have many states but a single machine can only be in one of those states at any given time and that state has its own update method so when your game machine is in that particular game state only the code within that update method runs so it also makes your code nice and clean so tammy a lot of what i've been reading about about um 
gameplay kit when they when they start off you know with somebody starts off a tutorial i think you even cover this a bit in yours how it counters against the inheritance model like you like a lot of times you want to inherit you know behaviors from one object from one class to another um but it's a little different with um using components and entities where you can have behaviors that are specific to like uh, like you know like using the typical dog with four legs and barks kind of thing like can you well, with talk en- about that with entities and components you know compared to the old style if you will essentially what you're doing is you know with inheritance you're you're thinking about what an object is right so what is this object but with the um entities and components you're thinking what is it that the object does so it allows you to build really advanced objects and and you know entities and components exactly what they are whereas let's say you have an enemy right that that's a that's an entity and you have a player and he's also an entity and they can be separate entities and then you have a firing component well now if if you wanted to add a firing component to just your player you could or you could even at at runtime add and remove components so maybe you have a player who has a firing capability and an enemy who has a firing capability so you've got your entities and your components right you have your player and your and your uh, enemy and you have your fire component and that fire component has been added to each of those entities but you also have a movement component right and you can add that movement component to each of your entities now let's say the player shoots the enemy and now the enemy is stunned you can actually again at runtime remove the movement component for a short period of time which essentially will stop whatever the enemy is doing and then re-add that component back in so it's really it's it's just absolutely incredible and that's why it's my pick because trying to work all this logic out prior to having gameplay kit was somewhat overwhelming and now it's just like wow you can do that with so little code too it's just uh, uh-huh. you can tell i'm in love with the gameplay kit <laughs> Is that it? That's it. <laughs> I just end abruptly because I'm awkward. <laughs> Anything, Aaron? Nothing? Wrap well, that's up? the end of the list. I'm, I'm certainly not, gonna, yeah. not going to uh, comment on Gameplay Kit. Yeah, don't no, even do no, that stuff. No question. Don't even know. Yeah? Don't even know. Well, it's just one import statement away. And I know where you can go to learn about it. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Alrighty, uh, well, let's uh, go around the table like we usually do and see if anybody has a pick, and we'll stop at Aaron to see if Aaron has a pick. Okay, uh, I just bought a new ebook this week called Parsing JSON in Swift by Josh Brown. Mm-hmm. This is um, an independent developer who has decided to put together this ebook, uh, outlining the one big stumbling block that a lot of new Swift developers run into, uh, especially those who deal with web services. Um, and that is uh, dealing with processing JSON in Swift. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it's it's a very handy little guide. It's it's just uh, 72 pages long, I think, uh, thereabouts. And it's a PDF that you can buy for $19 US. And it takes you through the process of handling JSON. Um, but it covers several other topics, too, namely uh, testing. Because uh, he is a big believer in testing your code. Mm-hmm. So um, I breezed through this book, actually, in about a 30-minute sitting. Uh, so it was very digestible, clearly written, uh, good code examples, real-world stuff, too. So he was uh, his example was uh, parsing uh, a GitHub API 
and uh, you know a listing of repositories. So that was his sort of canonical example that he returned to. Um, it takes you through how to process it uh, in terms of JSON, creating a class, and then testing the class, um, and kind of going into additional detail about error handling, uh, try-catch, uh, that sort of thing. The great thing about it that I liked was that it dealt with that like one immediate problem that a lot of us have and that I've had, uh, especially getting warmed up with Swift. But um, it teaches a lot about uh, good code hygiene as well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I learned, I, I didn't learn too much from this book, uh, but I, I learned a, a few little uh, tidbits along the way that uh, were gaps in my knowledge. And uh, seeing uh, idiomatic examples, <laughs> if you will, uh, really helped increase my confidence because it's, I saw uh, his techniques for processing JSON in particular were decisions that I had actually made uh, myself in uh, an application that I'm working on right now. So uh, I found out that I was actually not crazy um, and that I was actually doing something pretty right <laughs> in my handling of JSON. And uh, I was intensely gratified by that. So this book put, kind of put a big smile on my face. And uh, an update for it just came out today because this book is actually still in development. And uh, it's looking really sharp. So uh, a very small investment of time and money, and you could be uh, you know, that much further ahead in your Swift knowledge. So Parsing JSON and Swift by Josh Brown. At first, I couldn't believe that there was a book on parsing JSON in Swift. That seems like such well, a Well, it's a little topic. book. That's the whole idea. Right? But, and then I, I just signed up for the free sample and I read through it. No, I didn't read through it, but I looked at it. And it looks pretty neat. And it looked back at you. <laughs> With its beady little eyes, yes. With telling me to buy little, it. Exactly. But, uh, yeah, check it out. It's fun. Also, I'll admit, I wanted to see what he was using to uh, make the book. Oh, what, what software to make the book? Yeah, yeah I don't yeah. know. He's using Marked the, from uh, Brett Terpstra, which I also use. It's like a Markdown previewer. But it has, oh, a, yeah. it has a nice PDF, I think other format, export as well. So looks like he's using that. So, Greg, do you have a pick? I do have a pick. It's that time of year where people are looking back on the previous year and looking forward to the next year. See, I'm not giving numbers because you never know when people will listen to this podcast. That's right? true. That's not true. going to say what year it is, but it's mm. that time of year. And I think I'd seen this post come across. Uh, apparently, it's originally from 2012, but... The uh, gentleman is up, keeping it up to date as time goes on. So the post is called 12 Resolutions for Programmers and has things like staying healthy, things to learn as you try to further your career, try new programming languages, and working on personal projects, things like that. So anyway, he's keeping up to date. It's from uh, Matt Might. It's the gentleman's name. And mm-hmm. again, I've seen this post before come across my desk in previous years around this time of year, but uh, he's been keeping it up to date. And so I would encourage everyone to have a look and... You know, you don't have to do everything. It's 12 things, but you don't have to do it all. But have a look and see if there's not something that you'd want to put on your short-term goal, long-term goal list. And um, I'm not a big New Year's resolutions kind of person. And, you know, I think I think you should always be trying to improve yourself throughout the entire year, not just on January 1st. But Speak you wanna, it, brother. You want to get some tips of things to put on your list again? It's that time of year. You're on holiday. You got some time off, maybe. Have a look at this list and see if there's not something that will inspire you. So, Tammy, do you have a pick? Procreate, hands down, by Savage Interactive. It's a design app or drawing app for the iPad. And mm-hmm. uh, I would have to say that it is one of the best ones out there. It is $5.99, U.S. dollars. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, that's my pick. Of course, you have to get it with the Apple Pencil and the iPad Pro. <laughs> you don't have to, but it's just so much cooler. Yeah. 
This is this is the one app that I haven't tried yet. And you and haven't tried you, Procreate? No, you, you've mentioned it a few times on, on our ch- our conversation. Well, next time but, I'm uh, going to whack you in the head with my iPad Pro <laughs> running Procreate so you can use it. With your Apple Yikes. Pencil. With my, yeah, yeah, you don't know that. what I want to do with the Apple Pencil. Don't even. <laughs> okay. It's a family it's show. Let's, uh, let's yeah, stop right yeah, there. It's a family show. Wrap it up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, rated 4+. plus. Um yeah. Okay. Yeah. No. I'll, I'll have to definitely fork over my five bucks. There was something else. Was, oh, was we were talking about earlier today, which was the other one I was um, looking at. I forgot the name of it now. I've got a quick question while you think about it, Tim. This app, Procreate, has an in-app purchase called Early Access 2015, which unlocks some kind of beta features that are coming in the next uh, version. I assume, Tammy. What, do you know anything about this? No, now I'm going to have to launch it and see if I can find it. Well, I clicked on the link and it says new in Procreate 3 early access lets you purchase exclusive features ahead of time, or you can wait until they're integrated into the next release for free. So it's a $2 in-app purchase for early access, which is very, very, very interesting way to do this. I know. I'm sorry. That's That's all right. It's it's worth it though. I'm telling you, I, I have used a lot of different drawing apps on the iPad, and hands down, this is the best one. It, it's not, you know, remember we were talking about interface and things not getting in the way? This interface does not get in the way. You barely even know you're interacting with it. Uh, going back to what you guys were saying, I mean, this looks like the kind of app that should not be $6. It yeah, should be. 6 plus 2 with the early access, this does not look like that kind of app. No, it should be, uh, you know, I would, if these guys, you know, if the developers are listening, I would gladly pay more for this app because it is absolutely worth it. Well, and this is the thing is, is that I think that a lot of developers think that they're writing apps for everybody when, when this is something clearly for a specific market, right? I would think, right? Cool. All right. I, have no, I guess I have no choice but to buy it. I don't have a pick, by the way, this week. Um, other than having you guys on the show. Isn't that awesome? Woohoo! Wait, I'm always on this show. <laughs> What's even going on here? Well, actually, Greg, Greg's, Greg's been sort of saying to me, when is Aaron not going to be on the show so he can be Aaron? You know, I used to one time. One time I got to be Aaron. Did you? I think so. Oh, I yeah. That. You might have been at a cottage or something like that. Yeah. I was in Halifax. 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 I remember. I was Aaron the one time. It was glorious. Yes, it was. Glorious. Did you go to the, the second cup at two in the afternoon as well? Or? No, no. Uh, just for that day, because I'm a Starbucks man. But I went to the second cup that day, too. Cool. All right. Oh, at a boy. Yeah. I know. I mean, I got to be Mark. I just have to be the grumpy PhD. So, <laughs> so Aaron, if people want to find you on the interwebs, where would they look? They should go to the Twitter machine and look for at Aaron Vay, or check out my personal company site. If you're looking to hire a freelance iOS developer, innovative.com. I n n o v e g h t i v e dot com. All righty then. And Greg, if people want to find you on the interwebs, where would they look? They should open the Mac. Twitter app and find oh, me on there. Oh, sick burn. I am Greg Heo on Twitter, and that's where they should find me. Or if you're Tammy, you can go to twitter.com slash Greg Heo. Cool. <laughs> wow, man. Double dig. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> Nothing sacred here. Um, Tammy, if people want to find you on the interwebs or at a conference in Tennessee, where would they go? You can find me on the Twitter machines at uh, Paradox927. If you want, you can also check me on... Uh, TammyCoron.com if you're looking for a middle-aged biker chick who can draw pictures and write you a book and do some de- development work but can't speak. Yeah, I clearly can't. <laughs> and you also have this little podcast that you run? 
Oh, right. Yeah, I do have podcasts. See, I don't even know what I do anymore. There's uh, Roundabout Creative Chaos. Thanks. Yeah, that's roundaboutfm.com. All right, my name is Timitra. I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I can be found on the Twitter machine as well at T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A and at my website, it-guy.com. And that's it. Uh, this is the last recording for the year, so we'll say Happy New Year now. And well, you will. Yeah, I mean, well, it'll, it'll be belated. Just another spin around the sun. It's an arbitrary position in space and time, Tim. It doesn't matter. Thanks, Aaron. Plus, no with sweat, the leap seconds and whatnot, you know, this may not actually be the exact spin around the sun. Well, that's true. Who even knows? It's true. It may already be New Year's somewhere in the world. Who knows? It is. Wait, you mean one the sun doesn't islands. go One of those islands Earth? that keeps moving on the other side of the international <laughs> dateline. It's already New Year. Yeah. It's already New Year's there, I'll bet. <laughs> All right. I'll, I will say goodnight, though. Good night. Good night, Aaron. You've just experienced the More Than Just Code podcast. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There you'll find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the items that we talk about on the show, picks for the episode, as well as links to the apps on the App Store. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment on the website and write a review on iTunes. If you're listening on Overcast, go ahead and press the recommend button. It really helps others find out about the show. You can also follow the show on Twitter at mtjc underscore podcast. If you'd like to support the show, you can pledge any amount on patreon.com slash mtjc. Thanks again for listening. Hey, Tammy. Hey, can you hear me? Yep. Okay, good. Loud and clear. Five by five. Hi, Tammy. It's Aaron. Hello. Hi, Aaron. How are you? I am amazing. It's lovely to have a girl on the podcast. This has never happened before. Well, it's It's noteworthy. It's a first, right? (laughs) It's about time. Yeah, darn right. Well, let's do the check thing while we're while we have a, a momentary pause. Check, so, check, so, check, so, Tammy, the the thing is, I say, I count back from three, I think. No, then, do five because I no, want a lot three, of warning. Three, okay. Well, be you careful. I only have five digits, so if he goes much above five, I'm out. Okay. Okay. Anyway, so I count back from three, and then we say mark. Okay. So wait. It'll not sound like it, three, not, not two, one, mark. Mark. Oh, that's it. Like yeah, I was going to yeah, say, now like we're going to have a Princess Bride moment, because I wasn't sure if we go on one or uh, after exactly. one. No, that's, why, uh, that's why I did the little demo, so it's as if you're counting. <laughs> oh, man. Remind me to send you guys that link to that, that dude's webinar, because it's really incredible. Oh, you got to, yeah, you know what, I wrote it down. Yeah. I think it's he, in the show notes. Somebody put it in there. Is yeah, well, I wrote it. No, I, I wrote it down on my paper here. Oh, no, it's, it's it in on. the show notes. Yeah. yeah. But I'll, I didn't put the link to the actual webinar in there, um, but I'll send it to you guys. It's, uh, you know, you sit there, you get to someone's webpage and they're like, oh, yeah, I can tell you how to make money and do this and that. And then you click yeah. on a link and it's like, give me $25 and then I'll tell you all those things I was yeah. going to tell you. Yeah. I hit the link and all of a sudden the whole 50 minute video started playing with all of this information and, and not vague, like, I'm going to give you some now, but pay me and I'll give you the rest. No, man, this dude just lays it all out for you step by step mm. how to do sponsorship. And I think you would definitely benefit from watching it because of the sponsorship on the show.
Right, right. Different tips that, that I learned in, in sort of the entrepreneurial coaching stuff that I went through. And one of the things what I learned right from the very beginning was to have what's called a farm club, right? Um, and you have, a, so you have a list of people that you're going to contact in the next three months, for instance. And one of the, the techniques that we learned through that is to actually just go and have a conversation with them. And a lot of times, uh, and it, this has actually worked for me. This is how I got my, my business started and off the ground was I had these conversations with people and we would talk about, you know, things we'd done before, the kids and, you know, what they're doing. And, you know, and you probably, you'll probably notice that I talk to you guys this way a lot. And, um, yeah, because a lot of times people will come back to you and say, "Hey, listen, you know, I'm thinking like maybe I need to get an app built, and could you help me with that?" And and the next thing you know, it turns them into a customer or a prospect or a sponsor. In this case, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. life at the Coron House has just been muddy. Yeah. <laughs> So you had crazy. Carol was telling me she she reads the Facebook. I don't really read it that much, but you had lots of uh, exciting weather go through. Oh, it's pretty interesting. We still have floods going on and whatnot, and we had someone shoot someone down the road dead. So that was also interesting. We don't ever get that around here, but somebody went up somebody with a bat or something, and the other guy shot him. So because you can't you can't bring a bat to a gunfight. <laughs> well, last week Greg and I were downtown, and I, I was down for a job interview, and, and uh, I was on my way back, and I knew Greg was hanging around. I said, "Hey, you want to go grab something to eat?" So we went around the corner from where he lives and, and had some. Good thing to eat. we didn't go around the other corner. I know. I <laughs> literally, <laughs> there was another corner. Actually, a friend of mine used to have a restaurant there, a sushi restaurant, right? Um, yeah, and somebody got attacked with a machete. Yeah. of all things. I remember on our way back, I think we were walking out, Tim, and then there was a police mm. car and it made a turn. And I was like, oh, that's weird. Because, like, it was waiting at, it was like waiting at the end of the but he turned on his siren quickly so that everyone would stop oh, yeah, and he yeah, made yeah. the I turn. I did see that. I did see that. Remember that? And I was yeah. like, oh, that guy just, you know, sometimes the cops just do that and they just want to get past the red light. And you always think, you know, oh, yeah. he's just, a, you know, he's not really in a hurry. He just wants to not wait for traffic or whatever. Yeah, and I remember yeah. that happened. Yeah. And he went down that road and I was like, and, and then after when I saw the story, I was like, oh, maybe he was actually on his way to the machete people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, it was interesting. I, the same thing happened to me down. I mean, we have all this exciting stuff happening here. We have a really low crime rate. Don't get us wrong, right? But I was coming down my street, and I was, turning, I was in the left-hand lane to turn left, and this cop was coming up behind me, and I thought, okay, well, I'm just going to leave my car. I'm just going to sit here with my car and let them drive around me, right? And I thought they would go to my right, but they went to the left because I guess you're supposed to pull over to the right sort of thing. And all of a sudden, the cops are like, you know, like they're just like jammed between me and another car. And so finally, and they're looking at me like, get the fuck out of the way. And so I, I, you know, turned my wheel and pulled over to the side really awkwardly. And then I missed my turn and all that kind of stuff. But like somebody was literally stabbed down the street that day. So oh I, suspect, I suspect they were on their way to that. And they were kind of in a hurry, you know. And here I am being an idiot, not knowing how to, what to do with my car, right? <laughs> so those are the two homicides we've had in the last 10 years. Yeah, we Pretty don't much. normally get stuff like that around here, but you really? know, mm. no, you, you, we don't. We it's it was kind of like I got a phone call from a friend. She's like, uh, "Are you guys okay?" I said, "We're always okay." She says, "Well, someone's coming by helicopter to pick up someone else who got shot down the road from you." I'm like, "You know, I didn't wow. even hear any shots. Like I usually hear shots all the time. It's usually somebody firing off something, but you know, the one time someone gets killed, I didn't actually hear anything." Wow, you'll figure weird